We're going to talk about turning numbers into notes. So this is, there's some music in this session. Um, uh, we're very grateful to Pip Wilcox, who's going to be operating the, uh, the, the laptop for the audio. <laughs> Last uh, Monday, here in the Maths Institute, we held a performance, um, the second performance in this format, of Emily Howard's uh, Ada sketches. And that's going to be one of the things we talk about today. I'll tell you about that. Um, but th there's a lot in there, and we've actually been thinking for some time about exactly the, the thing on the slide, turning numbers into notes. It's been a discussion that's been going on in anticipation of this event over the last year in the digital musicology community, uh, in the sort of computers and music community. So we're going to bring those things together today, and I'm very pleased to have this opportunity to have a, have a chat with, um, with, with Emily, and also grateful to the people who were involved in putting on the event last Monday, uh, what you'll see on the slides are some stills uh, that were taken and some recordings that we made last week. So I'm going to start by asking Emily to say a little bit about her background. As Nick mentioned, um, <coughs> Emily comes from with qualifications from Oxford. <laughs> um, well, um, I was lucky enough to be um, brought up playing the cello and music was all around me. Um, so I did a lot of composing. Uh, very young, and um, I also enjoyed studying science at school and mathematics, and I came here to study mathematics and com computer science. It was called computation in those days, and I had a great time. I had a great tutor, Richard Bird, um, and um, yes, after that, I th there was something kind of missing, maybe, um, and I went back to studying um, composition. I did a master's in um, composition at the Royal Northern College of Music and a PhD in composition at Manchester University. And I'm still based in Manchester at the Royal Northern College of Music. So uh, mathematics and computer science and music very relevant today. And I think there are many people in the audience who uh, will, will resonate with these, these interests. I want to say a little bit about this note. We've seen footnotes already today. This one. Put on the mics. Oh, OK. Yeah. Give me that one as well. Thank you. Okay. Okay. I'll put a mic next to my mic. Um, so this is uh, a quite an important and well-known quotation from um, Ada Lovelace. Supposing, for instance, that the fundamental relations of pitched sounds in the science of harmony and a musical composition were susceptible of such expression, and she was talking about operations, and adaptations, the engine might compose elaborate and scientific pieces of music of any degree of complexity or extent. This is a very interesting statement. It's the, it's the one that we've been discussing for some time. I came to this, incidentally, um, thanks to Betty Toole in the front row, because five years ago I was moving to Oxford and I was, I was to give an inaugural lecture, and my theme was um, to do with machines and music. And I was at the Internet Archive in San Francisco uh, where Ted Nelson, the, the, the creator of Hypertext, was uh, presenting his autobiography. And I bumped into Betty and I said I was giving this talk. And Betty brought my attention to this and gave me permission to use material from her book. Thank you very much. Um, so it started for me five years ago in this, this, this discussion. Emily, how did you come to this? Um, 
I think I came to know about Ada Lovelace in about 2008, and I was looking around for an opera subject, and a good friend of mine and colleague, Laura Tunbridge, who's here at Oxford now, um, suggested Ada Lovelace to me, um, possibly because of my, well, probably because of the mathematics and computing science background. Um, and I went away and I read this sketch of the analytical engine, and I looked, I particularly was taken by this quote. Um, so, and I, I wrote, um, the Ada sketches in 2011, and also two orchestral pieces, a piece called Mesmerism and a piece called Calculus of the Nervous System. <laughs> Excellent. And we'll, we, we have a clip of uh, Mesmerism a little bit later on. So of that trilogy, uh, this is Ada sketches, this is a bit of the score. Um, could you tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to do this particular piece? Yeah. Um, so, Ada sketches. Well, it's an opera sketch. So an opera, I mean... It's an art form that comprises words, music, and drama. And a sketch, because, well, apart from the pun, um, actually, it really is just a sketch. It's not finished. It's about seven to eight minutes long. And um, I wanted to try out several of the ideas that I was thinking about from reading about Ada and reading ab about her mathematics in particular. So the piece is based on a number of dramatic oppositions. Um, first of all, there's, there's Ada Lovelace, played by mezzo-soprano, and there's the analytical engine, um, and that is actually an instrumental ensemble. It's flute, clarinet, and percussion. You've got this. Then, of course, you've got the opposition kind of inside Ada's head. You've got her mother's influence, the mathematical, methodical, and moral, and her father's influence, um, famously mad, bad, and dangerous to know. Uh, and then something that interested me deeply, um, having read um, her notes, uh, is a kind of representation in the piece of creative processes and the, different, and the moments of discovery, kind of breakthrough moments. I find them very interesting, whether they are your own or original or not, when you're solving a mathematical problem or, indeed, kind of working on a piece of music and you have a click and something happens and you think, that's exactly how it should go. These moments interest me, and I was thinking it would be very interesting to try to, write, to, to put them into the music. Um, and so I have, um, in this sketch, at the opening, I have... Ada is literally working on um, an equation. I think it's a, it's a, I chosen, I was looking at the note B as well, and I chose, um, I think it was three, to the, three of the two to the power of 36, and 36, composers have to make some decisions. 36 because she died when she was 36. So, and, I, and I worked through the, a kind of a text, thinking about what she might say in a very formal kind of way. Um, as she worked on this equation and as she tried to solve it in the way it might have been solved if, she could, if they could get the analytical engine to work. Um, so that's what's happening at the beginning of this piece. And, it, and I think you might hear, um, hear part of it. Uh, uh, just to say something about the um, instrumentalists. As she works, and this might be in her head or it might not be, it's for the audience to decide, um, kind of the machine is beginning to work. And so she's solving the equation and you hear, at first you won't think of it as a traditional kind of music, you, you kind of hear um, just the odd, well, you see that the symbol works and then something happens. It sounds very machine-like and very repetitive and algorithmic, and it, it really is, because I've actually taken um, what she's talking about literally, and I've used all of that mathematics um, in the music to create as algorithmic, as non-personal a piece of music as I possibly can for the analytical engine. Thanks very much. I'm, we're going to hear a clip of that in a second. Just to give uh, a history of the, the performance we had last week, uh, the format that Emily's now using isn't s simply to 
have a bunch of excellent musicians performing this work, but it's actually to engage also a mathematician um, and the audience. And we'll come on to say a little bit more about that in, in a second. So that format was first um, it, it sort of explored in the Science Museum a month or so ago, although there have been previous performances of this, this work. Um, and we brought it to Oxford, partly thanks to the, the support. This is the, you know, thanks to our sponsors. Um, of some music, music projects we have here. We have some digital musicology projects, in particular one called Transforming Musicology. Um, we're very grateful to many sponsors here, and to the Maths Institute, and to the Bodleian Library, and to the Oxford Research Centre and the Humanities, and many others for enabling us to put on the, the visit last weekend. That project captured the content, uh, and it captured the audience reaction to the performances. And what we're exploring, for example, is did the audience receive, did they interpret, did they understand the performance differently after the mathematics have been explained to them. So look out for publications about this coming up. But meanwhile, let's have a, have a, a short clip. All, all the clips we have uh, in this session are just two or three minutes long of the beginning of the, um, the operatic work. This is Rosie, who's a, a spectacular singer. Just, just to let you know, we haven't tested the volume. <laughs> um, and I, I, was, I was responsible for recording this, and the dynamic range of this recording is extraordinary. Um, Rosie starts by speaking quietly. Uh, as she, as, uh, I encourage everyone you know, to read the libretto. It's, it's, it's really, really good. Um, and then sings quite loudly, just so you know. <laughs> Pip, could we um, play the clip, please? Pip with the clip. Um, so, <laughs> you get the idea, it did start very, very quietly. Yeah, the, the other pieces of uh, music we have probably aren't as quiet as that was. I'm sorry it took us a little while to work out how to turn the volume up. Um, th these are the musicians, and uh, they were extremely impressive. Um, they made every note count. If we're talking about uh, can computers produce music and you know, what's the role of the human in this, well, one of, one of the things that is extremely clear is these musicians were excellent. Uh, do you want to say something about your, your excellent students, Emily? <laughs> uh, I wish you could have heard that a bit yeah. more clearly, because um, yeah. I mean, you, you'll hear it later on. They really are excellent, and they work very hard on performing it. They're all... Um, well, actually, Rosie, um, the singer, is an alumna of the Royal Northern College of Music, and then um, the other three are current students there. So. We, were, we were very impressed. During the evening, um, Emily got them to do some things which any, uh, any musicians in the audience um, had to... Be, be seriously impressed by it. There was um, getting the, the full sister to play in quarter tones and getting two students to play six notes from one against seven from the other without counting in. It was hugely impressive. <laughs> they were excellent. Um, I in particular spent time with the, uh, the percussionist and I'll come back to that. Uh, the, 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 I think we still have trouble hearing your voice. Do you want to poke the microphone out of your pocket? Is it there? Yeah, I've got uh, two microphones here. <laughs> <laughs> so the work is in some ways about mathematical discovery um, and I like this quote from I've taken from something you wrote Emily about um, this is an exploration of the musical solution to computation uh, for the, on the hypothetical analytical engine can you say something about that? Yeah, um, so following on from what I was saying before um, she's explaining um, 
in the text, she's, she works on that mathematical discovery. And, and, and the way I have represented that is that, not that you heard it, but she's speaking in, in this very formal way as she does the mathematics. And as she gets further into the equation, uh, a solution, um, and she makes these discoveries, actually her voice, she um, goes into a much more typically opera operatic sounding um, voice that you heard just there when she was singing To the Power of Five. And later on, she has a similar moment when she starts to think about um, whether or not the, the machine will be able to use notes instead of numbers. Um, so this is her more visionary like a cultural discovery. So I've represented them in the same way, um, vocally. As, as, as um, the piece continues, there's a real sudden moment in the piece um, where always Ada has been speaking or singing and the machine has kind of been developing very independently. And then at one point you get, the machine takes over, it is independent. And this is a really... Um, crucial moment for Ada because she kind of snaps out of the very formal approach because the machine just goes and she can't she has absolutely no effect on it and at that moment she's sort of thinking about oh, it's like a human versus machine kind of idea where would I fit in what if the machine can compose the melodies what what about me so we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll hear that clip I should just say as we're talking about the mathematical discovery one of the unusual things about this performance because we had a mathematician. <laughs> so um, what's, it, what's it like gigging with a mathematician? It's great, actually. Because <laughs> um, I've been working with Lasse. He's from the University of Liverpool. And I've been actually um, doing a Levy Hume Artist in Residency um, there in the Department of Mathematical, Mathematical Sciences for the last 10 months. Um, so I've been speaking regularly with Lasse in particular about his work on dynamical systems. So when um, we, we were talking about um, him being involved in this Ada, Ada Sketches performance, um, I spoke with him and he was able to give really fantastic explanations of the mathematics um, used in this. So for example, the idea of reducing the number of steps and he gave, um, I think he spoke about encryption today and how this could work today. Um, and he also spoke about um, creative discoveries for himself in his own mathematical research. So we'll have a, a clip now from the, uh, a couple of minutes further through the work where the, the human machine interaction, that, that, that tension is playing out. I'll just say one last thing. Um, that, um, so the machine here sounds, it sounds absolutely, um, completely um, otherworldly and it's completely functionally derived and it's um, in, in combat if you like with Ada when she comes in and she's this is at her at her most lyrical
that's uh, that clip to including the presentation. It's very difficult to choose the beginning and end points because the words through this part are fantastic. Um, and it ends with her saying, well, Ada resonated, and then she talks about celebrated. And, um, earlier on, uh, in the bit between the two clips you've heard, she talks about Fibonacci, and I'll come back to that. So uh, thank you. That, that gives you a good uh, taste. It, the, the whole piece is about seven or eight minutes long. You've, you've now heard a couple of bits, one of them better than the other in terms of volume. Um, I just want to show you a picture I took with my phone during the gig. <laughs> so this was the percussion. I guess it does feature flower pots and tin, tin cans. Um, and you can see an excerpt from the score there with the instructions. Note the requirement for these to be tuned quarter tone. Okay. So it was an interesting aspect of this from a musical viewpoint. It was an interesting challenge. We had great fun raiding the music faculty <coughs> percussion store. Um, but, um, um, interesting, that the, the use of quarter tones. And I just want to ask Emily to say something about that, because we're just moving into the numbers to notes piece. So this is a relevant point. Um, so say something about the quarter tones. Um, well, I, I wanted um, to have quarter tones in the anal analytical engine part. And I, actually, the demonstration I did with um, the flautist was to have um, flautist play a major scale, which we're all happy with, and then to play semitones. These are ste also steps that we're quite happy with. And then she was able to demonstrate. I didn't ask her to play a quarter tone scale. It was a bit unfair. But she was able to demonstrate um, a, the note between the semitone. And so um, I used them um, quite yeah. frequently. I'm not sure we managed to get it absolutely accurate um, <laughs> for the true. percussion. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so now we'll just talk about mapping numbers into notes. And, and uh, Emily, as you can see from the, the whiteboard here, was describing a, a mapping. Um, what we did was then move into a kind of co-creation phase, so, so, so more hackathon than, than concert, because the audience members were then able to do their own compositions by mapping numbers to notes. They came up with numbers from various sources, back to notes, and we got the, the students, uh, the musicians, to, to play, which they did fantastically. And these are the worksheets that we were using. I just wonder if Emily could describe something about the, uh, the exercise there in, in mapping. Yeah, um, so um, we just took um, the, the 12 semitones. We didn't use quarter tones for this. And um, we just assigned them. Is, you know, the 12 semitones and signed numbers to them. I think we started at one. You could start at not. You can do anything you like, which is one of the joys, but it's good. You need to have some kind of rule to follow to begin with, which you can then break. Um, and then, um, actually, one of the first things I did was to ask the audience just to pick some random numbers, and we heard them, because luckily the musicians were so fine that, they, you know, we can do a quick mapping on the board, and then they are able to play them in lots of different ways. And as you can see here, there are suggestions. So, you know, lots of general suggestions for whether you would choose to have it high or low or loud or soft, and you could, we could hear all of these versions. And we did a kind of Jeremy Corbyn-styled um, vote for whether we would like this piece to be this way or that way, and it came up with all types of things. So we did this for each of the players, and then, and then I think the whole audience, I mean, the interactive audience had a go themselves, and we had performances of five or six pieces, I think, at the end. Excellent, the, uh, the, the, the machine expanding to include the people in the room. Um, I, uh, this is, this is the, uh, the, the musicians playing one of the pieces by one of the tables. You can tell by the expressions on their faces that it was quite challenging. <laughs> um, we, we talked about Ada sketches, uh, and I just want to emphasize this is not the only piece of work by, um, by Emily. And I wonder if um, you'd like to hear a little bit of mesmerism. Do you, can you give us some context for this? It's part of the trilogy. 
It's um, for solo piano and chamber orchestra, and it was written for Alexandra Dariescu, um, pianist, and the Liverpool Mozart Orchestra for their 60th anniversary. Now, the Liverpool Mozart Orchestra, I'm from Liverpool, I know them all very well, it's an amateur orchestra, and in fact, Lasse Rempergillen, who's the mathematician, played in that orchestra, he plays the violin, and so he, was, he played in the premiere of Mesmerism. And you're going to hear it now, it's been recorded by the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra quite recently, a couple of months ago, and also Alexandra Dariescu with conductor Andrew Gourlay, and um, it's going to be released next year on NMC in a, in a debut disc of mine. So. <laughs> Now, for something completely different to finish with, um, I mentioned we've been discussing this for, for, for a year uh, in the uh, sort of digital musicology community, and I've been doing a thought experiment with colleagues in that community. One aspect of it is, um, I don't know how many of you are Doctor Who viewers, but one aspect of it is going back in time. So it would be a great episode. 
to, to Babbage and uh, Ada Lovelace and do a sort of what happens next? What happens if the machine had been built? Uh, what, what would Ada Lovelace have done? And um, we've had quite a lot of thinking about that, and that really gets, makes us get our head back to what, what the music was like then, what were her interesting music, what could you do with the machine? And then the second part of the thought experiment is to say, well, what if you could put Ada Lovelace in the TARDIS and bring her to the present day? What would she make of computers today? So what we've been talking about at the moment has been quite historical. We've been quite embedded in, in 200 years ago. Um, just at the end here, I want to bring it forward. So first of all, I want to go back to that mention of Fibonacci. Um, it's, it's, it's in the libretto. It's a, it's a, a number sequence you'll all be familiar with. Um, I wanted to go through this process of you know, what happens what, what might have happened next? So maybe Ada Lovelace and Charles Babbage would have programmed the analytical engine to, to generate a sequence like this. And one of the interesting properties of this, this sequence, as many mathematicians will know, is if you use modular arithmetic, uh, and I'll be using an example here where we're using you know, modular 35, so this is like clock arithmetic, but 35 instead of 12. Um, the sequence that comes out is a repeating sequence. Right? So it's a well-known mathematical property, and you have, depending <coughs> on the modulus, you have a different uh, length of that repeating sequence. So we explored that. Uh, and how do you do that? Well, you find an emulator for the uh, engine. Uh, this is an, an emulator written in the program in which called Java, which some of you will know. Um, that, that is a, a piece of code that I wrote that generates two Fibonacci numbers at a time. I'd be very happy to discuss this with programmers in the room. We can have a long discussion about whether I can call this an emulator or a simulator, because I'm not sure you can emulate something that's never been built. Um, uh, that generates... Oh, there we go. There's the trace of it running. You'll see some words there, mill, card, store. You've heard about all these things this morning. Um, that generates a sequence like this. You'll recognize it starts with Fibonacci numbers. And then we have to do a mapping, as Emily just described. In my mapping, I have to uh, confess to um, an accidental creative moment here. Whoops. Um, I am at C, note C to the number one, forgetting that I was in modular arithmetic. So I really mapped B to zero. Turned out to be a really good decision creatively, but we'll come back to that. <laughs> um, let me show you what it sounds like to, to play that piece of music. And, and, and here's another error I made. The first sound I used when I was exploring this was a celesta, which turned out to be an instrument that hadn't existed until um, probably 70 years later. So I then used a harpsichord, which was a much better choice. Um, I'd like to hear this, and then you'll hear... If you, if you listen to this, see if you can spot something melodic going on. Because I could hear that. I've listened to this. I walked to Cafe Nero. And by the time I got to Cafe Nero, I had a melody in my head. And I split the keyboard and, we, and then just had the melody part. So if we get Pip to play, first of all, everything for a few bars, and then we'll just hear the, the, the upper part of it. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's hear just the top part bit, please. I quite like that. <laughs> okay, so this is 200 years ago. If we managed to couple the engine to a harpsichord, perhaps that's what would have been generated. It's quite funky. Um, Bringing, uh, if you go to the next slide, you'll see the TARDIS. So if we <laughs> come forward to today, um, I just brought us to somewhere, about, I guess, 50s, 60s, Bill Evans-style jazz. So what you're about to hear is what happened when I gave that theme to my jazz group. Um, 
And what you have here is um, it's a five-bar sequence. You'll hear the call sequence, and then that thing you just heard will come in on the vibraphone. Um, Clara, would you play this, please? <laughs> So I offer you that theme. I'll put it on the web or something. If anyone would like to perform it in different genres, I think we should <laughs> click those in. It, it seems to me to be uh, remarkable. We can, we can discuss what creative decisions I made in getting there. One of them was accidental. It put us into um, a mapping that started on B. Maybe it was Mixolydian. Um, and then we, um, uh, the second one was deliberate because I split the keyboard. And in fact, I've got versions of this with different instruments and so on. Um, we'll, we'll close there. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, we uh, can demonstrate this and play other genres on our little display in the registration area if anyone's interested later on. Um, I hope this has been interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.